Welcome to Raising Rochester. I'm Pete Nabosny. Raising Rochester is brought to you by The Children's Agenda and focuses on the key issues affecting children and families in Rochester and throughout New York State. My guest today is Carmen Torres. Carmen is my colleague at The Children's Agenda and focuses her work on organizing Rochester City School District parents to effectively advocate for positive changes to our educational system. She's also a Rochester resident who is alarmed about the rising levels of violence in our community. Our conversation explores the rise of violence in Rochester since the COVID-19 pandemic began, the consequences of violence on child well-being, and the need for our community to come together to help transition students back into the classroom. Carmen Torres, welcome to Raising Rochester. Thank you for the invite. I'm very excited about this. Uh, So today we're going to be talking about the violence that the city of Rochester is facing, that parts of the city of Rochester, different communities in in Rochester encountering, it's, it's been really elevated over the last year and change, really since a few months into the COVID-19 pandemic. And specifically, we're going to talk about the impact that that violence has on children and children's mental health in this community here. Um, but before we jump into that very weighty topic, I just want to kind of give our listeners a sense of, of who you are um, in your background and kind of what brought you here. And, and I should mention, as, as we're starting uh, you and I work together. We're across the hall from one another, right? Um, and uh, you're the parent advocacy coordinator here at the Children's Agenda. So we'll talk a little bit about what that work is as well. But why don't you give our listeners a you know, brief intro? Um, who is Carmen Torres? And, and so I was born in Puerto Rico, and we le- we left Puerto Rico years ago. I won't share that part. How old were you? <laughs> Puerto Rico. Uh, I was a year old when okay, we left. and then we went to, um, we lived in Brooklyn for a little while in the Bronx, and uh, mom couldn't handle it because it was just too busy, too fast. Uh, she wasn't used to the cement and brick mortar kind of living, and so she really wanted to go to a place like Rochester that were, we have trees and flowers and, mm-hmm. and was a little bit less hectic. And so then you've been in Rochester ever since. Right? So we've been here for a while now. We've got uh, five uh, siblings that have all gone through college and everything. My mom was a single mom and uh, made sure that we all had the best education possible. Yeah, great. And so did you attend Rochester City Schools? I sure did. What schools did you go to? I went to uh, School 28. Okay. Um, and I, then I was changed over to, I had to go to 14 school. For whatever reason, can't remember why. And then ended up at School of the Arts, where when School of the Arts and Monroe High School were together. Okay. There was a bridge that connected the two. Gotcha. On Alexander. Okay. It's really cool. Yeah. And so then professionally, prior to, you've been at the Children's Agenda since like day one of the pandemic, <laughs> which was uh, the day we decided to go remote was the your first day on, on the job here, which is not the ideal way to start a job. But, but prior to working at... TCA, you worked for RCSD for uh, a number of years, correct? That's right. And what did you do at RCSD? I did a a variety of things. Mainly, it was like paraprofessional TA kind of positions, but my favorite one was when I became the parent liaison um, at School 5. I love that school. That's where I was hired and spent most of my career there. And then I experimented over at 17 school and that was a community school, which was awesome. But then I left there and ended up at 28, where actually I was a student at oh, some yeah. point. So 
it was pretty cool to full be circle, there. right? Mm-hmm. So, what does a parent liaison do? I mean, that's somewhat straightforward. <laughs> they liaise yeah. with parents, but right. um, what what were sort of the responsibilities um, for you in that position? Well, the main responsibility is making sure that our parents were given the best, let's say, customer service, were listened to, were given an opportunity to do volunteering and and um, have a place where they can come and have someone to talk to. Um, and apparently liaison kind of did all of that, kind of worked as a buffer for the, um, for the principal, kind of filtered out things where the principal didn't have to take care of every little mm-hmm. thing. So I worked on uh, attendance and bullying issues and uh, all kinds of things and connected parents to parents and have real um, good conversations with them so that they can understand that, you know, Mm-hmm. It's time to support each other, whatever's happening with our kids. Um, we need to be supportive. And the biggest thing was the PTO, which was the parent-teacher organization. The three schools did not have a... The three schools I went to and worked at, they did not have a PTO. So I managed to develop and grow a PTO in each of the schools. Great. And, and so then again about... Year and almost a half ago, you joined the Children's Agenda. And what what drew you to to TCA? Why did you want to work here? It was interesting because I I left for from this district with a lot of worry and wondered what was out out there other than school, since it was the only thing I really did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, saw the Children's Agenda's uh, posting in regards to this specific job and. Uh, it was pretty, it was It was almost like it spoke to me. Like, this is exactly what you need to do. Yeah. Um, because it's fighting for children's rights and policy changes and, and um, all those things that I hoped to do inside the school. Coming here to, the, it's just a whole different world. For yeah. Me. Yeah, well, we're, we're very lucky to have you here. Oh, thank you. Um, it's been great getting to know you on the job here. Pivoting a bit, you have been extremely concerned, um, as are many other people, about the rising levels of violence um, in in the city of Rochester, which is not unique to the city of Rochester. A lot of cities around the country have experienced a, a spike in particularly shootings and in homicides over the over the past you know year and change. But we live in this community. It's important in this community uh, that we understand what's happening and try to find ways to to address this. And so I checked right before we started recording here. Um, according to RPD, there's been, you know, we're now up to 53 homicides in Rochester this year, you know, and we're in early part or middle part of September now. Last year, there were 52. Uh, so we've already surpassed last year's high. And in 2019, there were 32. So we're way above that. In 2018, there were 28. So the, the trajectory of homicides is is really, really troubling. And I also looked at the number of shootings uh, because a lot of people, thankfully, are not killed when they're shot, but it's still a, you know, a big deal when someone is shot. And the numbers are just, they're just startling. Um, over the past 365 days, we've had 418 shootings, which is just well above most, most years we have, you know, 170, 200. Mm-hmm. So we're we're more than double the sort of recent year average. Um, 
that's well more than one shooting per day in, in this not too large city that, that we live in. Um, and obviously this is concentrated in particular parts of the city, particular neighborhoods, um, and it's heavily concentrated among, it's basically like teenagers and, and young adults, right? It's, so it's, it's people who are, you know, very young, mostly men, um, boys really uh, in a lot of ways. Um, and so it's, you know, this is something that I think people are aware of. It's in the news and all that. But, you know, we often, I don't think, think about these. Um, this is this is a children's issue. Um, so anyway, why don't you tell me a little bit about how you've sort of become immersed in, in this issue and why it's it's drawn so much of your attention, you know, over the past, again, year and change or so. Okay. Yeah, um, working with the Rochester City School District, I'm going to start there. Sure. I basically supported a lot of children that had some issues, you know, um, at-risk children, uh, children with emotional issues, and um, I tried to help them as much as I could, and I made great connections with many of them. Unfortunately, once they leave the elementary level, things get, either get better for them or get worse, and um, one of the things that I... um, experienced was um, one of my students, or two, actually, it was actually two of my students were murdered here in Rochester. The first one was very difficult for me because, and it took a while for me to get over it. This was a child that was extremely close to me, and uh, he was, uh, he was shot in the head and put in a, in a dumpster. Okay. And um, I remember going into the hospital because I was told, and I ran out of the, out of the building. He had just left our school, so it was it was in seventh grade, and uh, I went to see him at the at General Hospital. Yeah. And he opened one eye. He saw me. He smiled. He held my hand. I hold, held his hand, and I said, "It's okay." And he smiled back at me, and he left. He squirreled. Yeah. So recently, I I just I found out or saw that uh, noticed a name on the news and just cried because this was another student that was very close to me. Yeah. And I just had seen him. He told me things are not the greatest, but he's working on it, which was good. He ended up waiting outside for a friend of him to his to come out of the store and drive by shooting and shot in the head as well. So I thought about this and I continue to think about it and it bothers me that these children that I once had also made the one that was just recently killed had a child. And so it affects me in a way where I worry for that, that child I know the child may wonder, where's dad? And and then I, and then I thought about it in a big scope, right? Yeah. And I said, wow, well, what about these other kids? What about the other children that have lost dads or moms? And uh, just really think about it deeply. And then I thought the other flip side of that was the person that did the act, let's say, right, may have children as well. And I'm talking about, it doesn't have to be a child, but maybe a sister, 
or a brother, yeah. right, or a little cousin. How those things may have been affecting, you know, the situation may be affecting that child. Mm-hmm. And who's in charge of that child's well-being and in making sure that that child is meant their mental health is secure and safe. Yeah. So we're sending our children off to school now and folks have lost important people in their lives through COVID. Okay, but now with the rise of violence here in a small city with really big city problems, mm-hmm. it really dawned on me that we need to speak up and about the situation and ensure that our children get the extra support that they need to survive everything that they have seen thus far. Yeah. Yeah, and just to echo your point back to you, all of us, we have the circles of people that are both very close to us, our immediate families, um, mm-hmm. you know, our neighbors, you know, our close friends. Then we have the people who are a little bit more distant from us, whether that's friends of friends or teachers or people you've, you know, just known over the course of your life. And and those circles include a lot of kids, right, mm-hmm. um, who, who have had to experience quite a bit over the last year and a half, both from everything <laughs> closing down, whether it's, you know, school, not being able to go physically into school anymore, which is a, you know, provides kids a lot of structure and stability and, and food and, exactly. you know, and, a, and, you know, ideally supportive adults. Then thinking about how, you know, libraries were closed, right? Rec centers were open, but they were really limited in terms of what they could provide. And, and you know, you, you go down the list and you have, you know, you know churches were not as active or you know, as many people coming exactly. in for mm-hmm. a stretch from all these institutions mm-hmm. that we rely on that we rely on to to, mm-hmm. to support ourselves and our, our children and our, our families mm-hmm. you know pulled back and so that's obviously I, I think like a driver of a lot of the the problems we're seeing so so then you couple that with this rise in violence and then those things aren't there to be as as supportive to, to those kids who have either experience the death of their father or their older brother or their mom or, you know, a neighbor that they were really close with. And what those things together, the absence of these kind of protective factors, and then the surge in, in violence that kids are experiencing right. and seeing in the, or around them in their community, mm-hmm. that is enormous toll on, on children's mental health. And I think sometimes we talk about mental health and, and, mm-hmm. and we, it's a kind of a dry term, but this is like the day-to-day, the moment-to-moment functioning of, of children and their ability to self-regulate or figure out why they're so upset about things or, or depressed or anxious or whatever else. Right. I mean, this is, these are things that, that are, it can be really gripping for, the, for that And, um, I, and I want to mention with that, you're right, um, with that too, there's um, the fact that some of our children can't, don't even go outside. So they mm-hmm. can't even enjoy summer outside beautiful sun yeah play in the front of their home it's it's scary yeah it's very scary because they know that if they go outside they can be shot yeah now what child do you think would want to live like that really you know when we all think about it it's it's very depressing and my thing is you know this is not going to go away unless we do some mental health supports for our children yeah 
And it's got to start at school because that's where they are now, especially today when today was the first day of school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, they, they have, every child has a story to tell. Yeah. And I think that when the schools don't reach out to, to them, just allow them to speak, allow them to, to share. Yeah. It gets lost in the shuffle and the, and the uh, cycle becomes far worse because it's not going to go away. Yeah. And this, the cycle will continue to grow and we will have even more issues in our city. Yeah, and I think that's the fear. You know, I've done some, some reading into, you know, drivers of, of, of violence and, you know, what, what causes and maintains these, like, spikes in things like shootings and murders and, and, and things like that. And the, and the really scary part is it's hard to come down, right, because there's such a element of, of retaliation that exists. So someone shot... That's that person who was shot, mm-hmm. whether they, they live or die, they've, you know, still, they, or they're, yeah, I mean, they're experiencing mm-hmm. that, which is an incredibly traumatic event being, mm-hmm. being shot. But then there's that obviously that escalates an existing situation, which really bad things were already happening. And so these cycles, I think the fear is that you get to a place where this becomes the normal, uh, right. you know, murder rate. And that's, that's horrible for, for mm-hmm. obviously the, the children and families that are most affected, but for the overall health of the of the city as well. I mean, I you know I live in, in the city of Rochester, and I, I live in a, a neighborhood in Rochester that has not been particularly afflicted by by gun violence. Although there have been some things you know fairly close to where I live, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I love living in this city. It, and I think the city has a, many wonderful things to offer its residents, and, it sure and does. you know, we could talk all about your fellow city resident. You know, we could talk about the virtues of of city living sometime, but. Mm-hmm. But we can't ignore the fact that for a lot of a lot of people in a lot of neighborhoods, like you were saying, the parent is afraid of their child going out the front door and won't let them walk down the street to you know go the to the park store. or yeah the corner store or the playground. I mean that's that's devastating to the quality of life of that child and of that family mm-hmm. in that community, and, and you know, we can't just ignore that. And I think to 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 build on your point and, and maybe um, move to the, the next part of our discussion. Mm-hmm. Schools are asked to do a lot, um, and sure. they're asked to do a lot for many reasons. But one is what they have. It's where all the kids are, right? There's, right. there's, you know, twenty something thousand kids in mm-hmm. um, RCSD. There's no other service provider. Whether you're talking mental health clinics or rec programs or libraries or even you know our large um, faith communities that, that touch anywhere near that number of, of, of children. So. It seems like, uh, I'll let you take it from here, that, that the school system has to be the place where we try to address some of these things because mm-hmm. there's nowhere else where we can kind of access that many children and find ways to support them and, and help them deal with the, you know, the traumas that, they're, that they've experienced over, over this extended period of time, right? That's right. And, you know, the, the fact is, is that it, we might be asking a lot from the, from the schools, right? But um, it just so happens that um, many of our teachers over the summer, they were trained on how to run peace circles. Mm-hmm. A teacher can also understand a child that may be struggling emotionally, and but it doesn't happen unless you speak to them, and it doesn't happen until they trust you. Yeah. And, it, and it's not going to happen today on the first day of school. It's not going to happen next week on a full week of school. It's gonna happen when that child feels comfortable with you. Yeah. And they will express themselves accordingly 
And you can pick up the pieces from there for that child. Yeah. Unfortunately, what's happening is that when you don't have conversations, true conversations with your with kids, and develop that trust, what happens is that they get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. And before you know it, they they're growing up, they're growing, but they're growing with this intense fear, and then and fear turns into hate, and hate turns into other things that may contribute to um, a lot of the actions that are that children take. Yeah. Unfortunately, we are pretty full with mental health and getting those um, appointments for the kids. Yeah. And. So what better way than a school to be supportive yeah. and be able to just kind of raise those little red flags that should be raised and and those teachers to advocate for that child to receive yeah. services that perhaps need to be done immediately simply because it's getting worse. Yeah, yeah, and the, and the district, to, to its credit, and in partnership with a lot of other stakeholders around the community, including the children's agenda, mm-hmm. you know, has has made real strides, I think, over the past several years to embrace restorative practices, to try to, to, to reduce the number of suspensions mm-hmm. and recognize that you know, children of a variety of ages are, you know, a lot of times their behavioral problems are the result of things that they're seeing exactly. outside of school or things they've experienced. And, mm-hmm. and it, it does seem like all indications, kids who are coming back to school, a lot of them for the first time in a very long time, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's a lot of stuff that they've they've encountered over the last, you know, 17 months or however long we've been in this um, mm-hmm. pandemic here. And, and so you worry, or at least I worry a bit about, it, even though the district has done a lot over the last several years to try to mm-hmm. work on, on school climate and the culture and understanding these things, that there, there's just this big wave that they're going to experience. There's going to be a lot of behavioral issues. Uh, yes, and definitely. and that there's also a focus on, we've been talking about, like learning loss and things like that. And mm-hmm. and that's, you know, kids have been out of the classroom for a while. There's a lot of, of catching up we need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but And children will be frustrated yeah and and rightfully so yeah you know and and going on to the next grade and and now they know they they didn't get a a full potential kind of an education for a whole year or 10 months it's frustrating yeah it's very frustrating yeah you know yeah so let's let's jump into that a bit so the children's agenda along with a a number of other organizations in the Mm -hmm. community we have been pushing for their um for the district to develop a real strong plan um, and start to implement a plan around how they're going to handle some of these, you know, social emotional issues and children's mental health and, you know, recognizing that there's a lot of other things besides academics that the district um, needs to focus on so that kids are able to learn and, and thrive and, and, you know, move on and, and have the best possible lives. Because obviously social emotional will get in the way of their thinking process, yes. you know, yeah, and it's 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 devastating to even think that a child has to go through all that. You know, a child doesn't understand. It's like saying, "We we as adults we can we can basically handle some negative things that happen in our lives yeah. better than a child that probably may, you know, is is seeing things that are more adult yeah. issues." And before you know it, that child is totally lost and does not know how to express themselves yeah. because this is the life he or she has at home. Yeah. 
in recognizing that, that these child-serving entities, which which schools are, mm-hmm. they have to orient themselves to appreciating, not in a good way, but recognizing that those things are happening in children's eyes because it, it would take an enormous amount of of self-reflection and internal understanding and all these other things uh, right. for a child to say, like, I'm acting out because of X, Y, and Z things happening that I've, mm-hmm. that I've experienced um, this summer or or in the spring or, or and whatever. sometimes children don't know why they're acting Exactly, yeah. So you that's know? exactly it. So the school system has to be oriented to have that mindset um, because the child's not going to say, I'm doing this because of that. They or, might know X, but they yeah. might not know Y and Z, yeah. you know, and, and that's the hard part yeah you know that's the very hard like i said it's so important to develop a relationship on day one yeah. with children so that they can learn to trust you and become that you know inside the school little pod of, yeah. of classroom that's more community-based mm-hmm. classroom where everybody supports everybody else yeah and if you can develop that as a teacher and then the administrator ensuring that everyone is doing that in yeah. in the building, then you're going to have a great year, you know, because yeah. you're going to slowly get into the fact that um, all these kids really are looking for is that attention mm-hmm. that they seek and they, they want to express themselves, but just doesn't, they do not know how. Yeah. Um, and it's unfortunate because, you know, the younger they are, the less likely you're going to know what's going on. Sure. So what has the, the children's agenda you and I both work for, um, mm-hmm. and and other partner organizations. What have we been calling for the district to to actually do? I mean, school as we're recording this, this is the first day of school. Right. What are some of the things that we're recommending that the district? Yeah, do? well, we've we've recommended several things because of the we've got some funding from ARPA, you know, which which is an awesome. Yeah. This is the the federal COVID federal relief COVID money relief. that's come down exactly yeah. and. It's, it's great because now we can use that money towards things that matter. Now, I realize they they can only use it. It's not like they can go ahead and hire tens of thousands of counselors. And then, because then once the money is gone, yeah. they can't keep those folks to obviously yeah. can pay them. But something is something. At least a year into this school year, in t- to focus on more social emotional and utilizing the funding to make things happen for the kids and yeah. make things happen so that kids know exactly where to go if they need to get away from the classroom yeah. for a minute and talk to somebody. So the, the children's agenda, we, you know, I thought about all of these things and I said, what can we do here at the children's agenda, push for in regards to some type of some type of action, an action that would include both parents and community members or leaders, right? And so I came up with a plan to do a walk. We're gonna mm-hmm. walk, an awareness walk on how violence hurts our children's mental health. So that's happening September 23rd at 5.30. We're gonna start at City Hall and end at the Rochester City School District building on Broad Street. Yep. So my hope is that once we're there, Board of Education will be having a meeting that same night or evening. And my hope is that it will draw awareness to, wow, these are parents, these are folks that really care about our kids. Maybe we should start to look at 
some of this funding to go further into that into school settings. Yeah, maybe put it a slightly different way. So you know, we have lots of you know, reports that we've read and mm-hmm. and folks that we can talk to to who can help you know make some recommendations of how the district can both reorient its general thinking around this or or strengthen some of their because again, I think the district has made some real strides in, in recent years, but mm-hmm. but it's a matter of emphasis as we have this new school year. Yeah. And that's both like the, you know, the day-to-day, the teachers who are already there and the your, your colleagues who are parent liaisons and stuff like that. But we do have this surge in federal funding for a short time frame. How can we use those dollars to push in extra supports during this sort of recovery year, recognizing that we can't sustain these things forever, but kids aren't going to be returning to school for the first time in 18 months forever. <laughs> you know, this is a unique period that we need to have additional resources, but but also to recognize that the children's agenda, our partners, we don't have all the answers, right? So we need everybody thinking about, or, or more people, more stakeholders, more people with positions of authority mm-hmm. to really recognize this as a key issue to successfully returning to school this fall. So this March that you've been organizing and working with so many other people to to make happen, it's, it's an effort to get this at the front of more people's minds, right? Yeah. So who else is, do we have, we have some, some partner organizations or other folks who have been helping plan this with you? I know you've been doing a tremendous yeah. amount of work from across the hall for me, but who else is kind of on board with this? Yeah, we have various um, stakeholders that are really excited about this. And not only them, but it's the parents that are really actually taking the steps, yeah. the necessary steps to encourage other folks they're inviting other folks they're um they're really taking on the the initiative of ensuring that we have people to walk with us yeah we are including um interfaith collaborations folks such as the rock x folks and and we have parents of course i've talked to the police because you know I listen, I'll be honest with you, I listen to the scanners mm-hmm. at night sometimes, and it's amazing the amount of phone calls that these, the parent, that the police officers are dealing with when it comes to yeah. shootings and everything. So I've invited them. We've also invited um, city council mm-hmm. to come with us, and uh, many of them are coming, yeah. which is great. Even the mayor, yeah. and it's exciting yeah. to have them come with us, watch Absolutely. with us. So yes, we're we're working hard at, at ensuring that we, you know, this day becomes not something that we want to add more pressure to the district, yeah. but more so an awareness not only to the district but also to the community yeah. that we need to do better at and focus on our children more and, and to the fact you know to the point of ensuring that our children feel safe. Yeah, and obviously we have been talking a lot about the district because, the again, that's where the kids are. Uh, it's like the old uh, is that joke or whatever about, like, why do people rob banks? It's like right. that's where all the money is, right? right? But it isn't just the district's responsibility, right? There's a, we have a vast network of, of other, you know, forms of government, whether it's the city, it's the county, the state, and then you have this enormous constellation of nonprofit organizations that we have in Rochester. You have, again, we've, we've spoken a bit about the faith community and the role that, that they can play. And, and so obviously the, it seems like the district is the, sort of the, the focal point of a lot of this, again, because that's where the kids are. But, the but I think, yeah, the it's also, it sure, yeah, <laughs> but it's also recognition that the district's going to need support from lots of other community organizations and that we all have an obligation to raise not just awareness of this, but of 
elevate the thinking, let's say, of how we can better support particularly children who are, who are dealing with, with so much right now and going to the district with this group of parents and, and hopefully other elected officials and you know, stakeholders in the community is also a sign that like tell them like, we want to, yeah, this, this is big yeah. and, and we want to help and we, you know, we all need to, mm-hmm. to work together, right? Mm-hmm. We definitely do. And, you know, fortunately for us here at the Children's Agenda, we sit back and, and really analyze what our purpose is and ensure that everybody's heard mm-hmm. and ensure that everybody has a spot to stand and be able to express themselves the way they would like to. As long as we're all going towards that same direction, because that's what my walk is, is we're all walking in the same direction because we're all ensuring that the message is clear. Yeah. We must do something for our kids. We have to. We have no choice. Yeah. It's either do it now or pay for it later. Yeah. And now that we have this money, we can go far and beyond lots of programming for children and families, you yeah. know, because I think families need to heal as well. Yeah. RCSD, they are usually operating with a lot of scarcity of dollars that are available to them. Uh, and so, I mean, people take a look at the, the big picture budget and say, wow, RCSD has a lot of money. Well, they have a lot of money. They have a lot of kids. They have a lot of needs, um, really high, you know, rates of, of children with special ed, English language learners. Um mm-hmm. Um, students who are economically disadvantaged. There's all sorts of costs that are borne by all that. But right now, RCSD actually just does have a lot of money. <laughs> They've gotten this federal money that's come, you know, that was disproportionately allocated to high need school districts. Right. Rochester is one of the highest need school districts in the in the state and the country. So right. we have these resources, and and so the paradigm's a little different right now because mm-hmm. they have these resources, and we're not asking them to squeeze blood from a rock or whatever we're saying like hey look you've got you've got some things you can you can work with here and and the, you know they have put out a plan for for some use of funds it's yeah. it's a little sparse i'd say but exactly. but they're working on it and mm-hmm. and and they have done some community engagement around this but you know we want to continue to, to yeah, raise and, that and, attention you know, and i'm glad that they they um classes for the teachers you know um but what about the paraprofessionals yeah. what about the custodians what about I remember I had about two students that at the end of the day, all they wanted to do was help the custodian at the end of the day. And I used that as a reward. They just wanted to take out the trash with the custodian. They made us such a great, he became a mentor to them. And, you know, they asked questions on how to become a custodian. You know, the reality is, is that we, it's okay if you want to be a custodian, but be the best custodian you could possibly be. Absolutely, yeah. the kids kind of tell you what they need if you really are listening. Yeah. And, you know, it just takes that person to, to really listen in as to what they're saying and be able to read between the lines. Because half the time they're already telling you what's wrong. And, you know, with, the, with this money or this funding that we're getting, that the district is now getting, we can do some amazing things and try to at least calm down some of this um negative behaviors and, and violent behaviors and, and criminal mentalities and gang things is are ridiculous in our, yeah. in our in our city as well. I'm so, I'll tell you this, I am so excited and happy that they decided to allow the children 9 through 12 to go to school 
because as mm-hmm. I was listening in to the um, to children at the board meeting, they were able to speak on yeah. behalf of themselves and, and other students. One of the things that I really, really focused on was the fact that many of these kids were crying. Mm-hmm. And you wonder why were they crying? Not because it probably wasn't so much because they were nervous. It was most likely because they're tired of being home. Yeah. You know, and there's no other safe place they can go. Yeah. And so why close, you know, shut down 9 through 12 and go remote when those are the same children that are, are getting in trouble, joining gangs? Why? Because they're bored yeah. and they need to have challenges, you know, yeah. given to them so that they can at least start to produce more thinking processes and being able to to express themselves and then being able to be who they are, teenagers. Yeah. It's not going to work when they're all at home. They've been at home all this time. Yeah. Yeah, I think those of us who are decent way into adulthood, which I think mm-hmm. both you and I are, you know, I think sometimes you forget or you lose sight of, of just how important a, a teenager's, in particular, their social circle is to them and their relationships with other students in their class, like that's their world, that's right? right? And mm-hmm. once you get to adulthood, you've maybe you've experienced lots of different things. Maybe you've lived in different places. You've you know developed relationships and fallen out of relationships and things like that. So you mm-hmm. just have a little distance to to some of this stuff, and you don't have the same needs to like be so intensely social once you've kind of gotten comfortable in in your own skin and and matured into whoever you're going to be. Right. But that's not what a 15, 16, 17, 18 year old feels. You know, mm-hmm. that's they they have such Typically speaking, you know, much so much more intensity of emotion around all these things, and so, and and they are intimidated by, easily intimidated by other actions too. You know, like if we think about it, a child that's in school is a is a far better place than being outside playing Mm -hmm. and not being not in school. And why? Because the growth process, both educationally, yeah physically and socially it has to all happen at once yeah and you have access to your earlier point whether it's that custodian or anyone else in that school who that Definitely. that young person may just kind of be drawn to and and if that's a positive influence on right. them it's that's a real supportive factor so so yeah we'll include all the info about the the march and encourage people to to come do it and if they have questions there's places they can get some info mm-hmm. as well uh, but i also want to just kind of Briefly, you referenced that some parents have been helping you with yes. this, and you have sort of a parent group that you're that you're working with, um, your VIPs, right? Mm-hmm. You're a very invested parent, and so what? So tell us a little more about about that group and and mm-hmm. what you've been doing with those those VIPs. Well, one of the things that I'm really working on is my relationship with them because it's important for me to know where they are. You know, um, yeah. what are they thinking? What do they know? And perhaps even what they would like to do. They what what kinds of things they would like to to see. Mm-hmm. You know, you go into each school, and the parents are different from the parents from the, from the other school from another school. Every school is different. Yeah, and the stuff that they tell me and you know those things that I'm not going to share because I, I want to earn their trust mm-hmm. that's my thing just like with the children the children yeah. have you know t- teachers must earn the trust of the children I'm earning the trust of the parents yeah now 
one of the things that we're doing is how to build ourselves to be leaders yeah. as parents. Parents are already leaders. They just don't know it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when parents start to see that they actually have those qualities that can really be useful mm -hmm. to an organization or to you know a group like VIP, they really take ownership of it. Yeah. And they start doing more and more and more. And before you know it, the thing the whole group is running out of their, you know, their own gas, yeah. let's say. I'm just there as the spectator. Sure. That's my hope. Well that'll channel it too, right? So these are these are parents that have sort of emerged through your engagement with people in the community, right? right. To who are interested in in advocacy and they want to definitely advocacy do something is... in their school or do something in the district as a whole mm -hmm. or you know, they just want to be involved in, in, in shaping decisions in, and, in the right kind of places, right? a lot of them don't right? know how to be involved. Yeah. A lot of them may have not, not been approached mm -hmm. by the proper people at a school to be leaders at a school. Yeah. And, you know, so my conversations with them is you should have a parent liaison at your building. Talk to them. They are advocacy kind of gurus because yeah. they they really work with the variety of different parents yeah. in the building and then you know letting them know they can they can ask questions not to be afraid that they can work together to build one common goal yeah so advocacy is goal building advocacy is supporting of each other's thoughts and, and processes and uh, advocacy can be anything you want it to be as long as it's for it's the greater good for of all mm -hmm. Well, this was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks yeah. so much for joining me, Carmen. You're so welcome. This was amazing. Thank you for letting me you know, talk to you a little bit about our struggle that needs to be taken care of. Thanks so much for joining me today on Raising Rochester. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and family, including on social media. And feel free to send feedback or show ideas to me at pete at thechildrensagenda.org. Until next time, on behalf of The Children's Agenda, I'm Pete Bosnick.